morning. We this is our last week on the Tash Beit, and next week is our last class on this topic, which will be bringing it down the Misa between the Tash Beit and the Rama, how it came down the last thousand years. Maybe one week, maybe two. We'll see how we do in terms of running through the various different Mishnah and experiments that that, as you would imagine, took the side Tashbits over the Rambam. Um, but today, we're going to finish up with the last couple of Chubas here on the Tashbits, all these various Chubas that he wrote. We'll finish that. And then we have to pick a new topic. So we're going to discuss that afterwards, which is the next topic. All right. Um, so to start where we were. If you recall, just to summarize, we said that the Tashbits had two fundamental disputes with the Rambam. Number one, he said that if you have someone who's a Talmud Chacham and he's poor, they give him a job. Appoint him to a job where he can help the community and he gets a salary from that. That was one aspect of how you deal with Talmud Chacham who's, who's in poverty. The second aspect was a Talmud Chacham. Let's say there's no jobs available. He's a Talmud Chacham. You still support him. Even if there's no job, you still have to support him. Two different aspects. The easiest one, the ideal one, is, of course, to give him the job, because then not only are you helping Tom Tuchel, he's helping the community, he's helping everybody out. But if that's not possible, you still have to support Tom Tuchel. Those were his two big differences with the Rambam. Next, he pointed out that it's a mitzvah gedayla to be mahanah Tom Tuchel, to help him out in business, to do his work for him, marry your daughter off, to a Talmud Chacham, to marry, um, you know, uh, the daughter of a Talmud Chacham. These are all mitzvahs. Not halakhas, not absolutely required, but ideal, very nice if you can do it, sure. And he said that, of course, even the Rabbah agreed that there is a basic halacha that everyone agrees with, which is a Talmud Chacham that is doing work, let's say. You let him do his work first. Let him, you know, sell his wares first. You let him open up a stall, even if it's going to cause competition. You make sure he gets off on the taxes. Again, it's assuming the taxes on the community and not a full tax specifically on each person. These are our basic halachas that apply to the Chacham, even if the guy is working. And this, the Rambam, of course, agrees with. There's no dispute between them on this point. And we were in the middle of discussing this idea that he was saying that it's a mitzvah gedolah to do the pragmatics of the Talmud Chacham. These were, these were things that are mitzvah gedol. And he gave various different examples that we discussed last week. I'm not going to go over any of those now. We're just going to continue because we've got to run through um, the rest of the Jewish hand. There's a couple of juicy points that we have to make. Um, okay. Continues the Tash Bates. We're in Tshuva Kufman down. So we're, very, we're in the fourth Tshuva here, right? So he says like this. It's not a genai. Talmud shouldn't look at it as beneath his dignity to take some um, compensation, to take some support from the community. He shouldn't look at it as beneath his dignity. But if the chachamim, they really don't want to take support and sustenance and sukkar from the community. They want to be able to sort of rely on their own two hands, rely on themselves. So, yesh bazet sad chasidus. Right, so you see how the Rambam comes right back in? Right, after all these things that we've said, right, all these past four classes, our fifth class in the Tash Beis, and he's going against the Rambam very strongly, and now what do we we let in the, the, the back door? What's the back door? That's the Tamachacham wants to act with a minus chasidah, saying he doesn't want to take. He wants to be on his own. We're not talking about somebody who's inherited wealth. We're not talking about somebody who married wealth. We're talking about a Tom Chacham who's poor, who needs what to get by. But he says, I don't want to take from anybody. I want to rely on myself. Says the Tash There is a level like that. That's minus chasidah. So now you see how the Ram can come right back in. Yes? You see how the Ram is allowed right back into the front door? And we've been saying the rabbi is not correct. He should support Tom Chacham. He should, even if he's not going to get a job, still support him. But if Tom Chacham doesn't want the support, then we have room for the Rambam. Tom Chacham is a very big action about it. He wants to know, no, I don't want to take nothing from anybody. There's room for that. That is a level even higher. That's a minus chasidus. 
And then he says, however, so yeah, he just gave a room for the Rambam, but then he takes it away. He says, but I think there's a possibility. Maybe he really shouldn't do this. Maybe he shouldn't be practicing this. I mean, Why? Should be, of course, anybody doing this, it should be L'Shem Shemai. What's his issue? His issue is he's going to elaborate is what's going to happen if somebody wants to do a Minas Chasidus. There's two problems, two potential issues. One is, it could be ego is driving it, right? Not really so much Chasidus, but ego, right? That's one possibility. There's another possibility, which is, let's say you really are a big Chasid, you really have the right intentions, okay? I have the right intentions, but if I'm going to actually be spending the time working, what's going to happen? I'm just not going to learn. That hour, two hours, five hours, whatever the amount of time was that I was working, I wouldn't be learning. So I'm simply going to lack the knowledge that I would have otherwise had. So there's a practical ramifications. There's ignorance that's going to be caused by the lack of study. Pasha. So, he's, so he, he acknowledges there's a Midas Hasidus that the Rambam, the Rambam held that it was normative. Right, the Rambam holds that it's normative for the Tam Chacham not to take. Not a Midas Chasidus. That's the Halacha. The Tashbe says, no, that's a Midas Chasidus. But then he says, I'm not sure that the Tam Chacham should really do this. Why? Because it can cause problems. What are the problems? One, one, it could be ego. Number two, it could be just causing additional ignorance that could have potentially been avoided. So he continues and he says like this. Um, he says, we learned, and Mark Brachas tells us, and we discussed this before, that we can mention it again now. Why? Because we just had the Aftara this week, right? That the, what do they say in the Aftara? That Elisha had the Elias Kirkatana, right? They made the attic. They made the attic for Elisha. Right? For those who are far not, you remember we're talking about attics and Tamil Chacham spending time in attics, right? Because we have the we have the, the Gemara tells us about the Hargal Yavar. Right, the, the three mitzvahs that you don't normally say yahari valya um but the three mitzvahs give a rashi of them but as we say no we say yahari valya and what do they decide that now lias based nitza belud and nimshami sachem says that there's also was another aliyah in lud it was alias based aris belud we're also within the begum with different halachas right we mentioned the mishnah rashi shana tells us that there was the Aliyah of Gamliel's house where he had the tab, the, the tabness of the Levana for the item to come along. And we have the and we had the case of the 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 Mishnah in Shabbos that tells us the Aliyah of Khanina ben Khizkir uh, ben Gurion, where they had Shammai and Hillel was Rabu Shammai and Hill and they decided on Lakas like Shammai. Why are they all studying in the attic? So the the, the Magolias Hayyam brings down the Duras Arishainim. It says because you have to remember this is a Shas Hashmad. Right? Shas Hashmad, they had to hide. They didn't learn basic matter, they didn't learn no place, they learned in attics. The sheer desire to study Torah and the mysterious nefesh that they had. That they had to study in places that were not normal to the study. It's not a normal thing. They're making based in sitting in, a, in an attic. That's what the difference. So Shannon writes in this quote about my goal say, yeah. Then you have Alicia is the first time we see an attic for a Tom Kaufman from Navi. Right? She made him Alias Kir Katan. She made him a small attic so he could he could live there. And the Gemara learns out from that that if you Alicia, if you want to have Anna, you can have Anna like Alicia. Because Alicia took Alicia took sustenance, right? He took sustenance from the Shunamis. So therefore, we're allowed, if we want to take, we can take. So he says it's possible to take, we have room. It's not the, the Gemara is telling us that if you want to take this room, yes, it's a Midas Chasida, sure, but maybe not always, says the Tash base. Look at Alicia, he was a pretty big guy, and he managed to nevertheless be a big person despite taking from someone. This is the, the point of the Tash base, and again, focusing on it because of the Haftar of this past week. And the Gemara continues, as you recall, the Gemara says that the rights of Shaloy should be like Shmuel, because Shmuel, based on, you may remember Shmuel wouldn't take anything from anybody, he was always making a circle. We discussed this, I think, last week. So he says, There's room, there's room on both sides of this, fine. And he, he brings down a Gemara. The Gemara, we, we mentioned this Gemara many month, uh, months ago. The Gemara tells us the beginning of Chulin, Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yar. Remember the Gemara of Rabbi Pinchas Ben Yar? They didn't want 
take anything from anybody. From the day he became of age, he didn't even eat at his father's table. Not only did he want to take from the family, he wanted to take from his own dad. He wouldn't eat in the own house. Why? Because that was a matzah. So he meets Rebbe one day, and Rebbe is begging him to come to eat by him. He sees that Rebbe really wants it, so he says, okay, I'll accept your invitation. Right? What did the Gemara say? Rebbe's face turned yellow, like uh, he was so excited. Yellow, I don't really know. I don't know what your face turned to be so excited, but he was very excited, Rebbe. So Pinchas Benyar says, you don't understand. You think I'm not eating because I refuse to eat by people? No. He says, the reason I refuse to eat by people is because you have the type of person that either, he says, you know, like in Yerushalayim, in, in Yerushalayim, right? If you learn there in Yeshiva, you get these invitations. From the Yerushalayim, sometimes you're out about that. There's no, in the old days, when I was there, sometimes you get an invitation and you go there and it's like, oh my gosh, mamish, like I'm eating their food. And you watch them looking at you eating, you're like, I'm not eating, I, just, I can't do this. Right? And you go to a place where the fish is literally fish from a tuna can, right? And the, the soup, right, was... And, and I remember one place eating. Like I would never go back again. But people hand you for enough time, so okay. So I remember going to one place, and they had, um, never forget, the, the soup that they had was the water from the chalons. I kid you not. I was like, wow. Right, this is the level that we're talking about. So... So Professor Benyar says, I'm not here to make decisions on everybody's financial condition. Somebody's going to invite me to come to their house, but they don't have any money. I don't want to take from them. What happens if somebody, you know, he really has a very wealthy guy, but doesn't really want to have me. So, you know, um, so I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to have to go into, you know, the yard, the safe diet for a person to figure out what they really want, what they don't want, what they have, what they don't want. I'm not interested. So therefore, it's easy for me to say, I'm just not eating by anybody, but by you. I know you have, right? Rabbi is such a wealthy man. We discussed this. And you're all you also really want to have me. So okay, so I'll come to you. So what's the Tashbit using this Gemara for as a Raya? They see it's not such a meat as is willing to go. He's willing to go eat by him. Yeah, he's the biggest chassid, right? We learned from him all the all the darach to get to Kedusha, to get to Nabur, to get to all everything is from Pinchas Benyar. Right? He was the biggest parish and all of that. That was he was willing to take. So this is the ride from the Tash Bay. By the way, the end of that story, remember how the Gemara ends there? The Gemara says in the end that Rebbe Benyar didn't eat by him, right? So the Gemara ended, remember, he came to the house and there were the white donkeys that were very dangerous. I don't know what they are exactly, but these very dangerous donkeys hanging by the house. Rebbe says, I can't come with these angels of death are hanging out of the house. So Rebbe says, okay, I'll sell them. He says, what, are you going to give somebody else the problem? So then he says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll kill them. He says, what, are you going to Pashas, I'm going to hobble them. This, that, every one thing he 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 doesn't like any of his solutions, and he sees that he uses it as a attempt. So he's not coming to the house. So, and the Gemara says that it was like a mountain grew up between them that couldn't be penetrated. He wasn't going to come to them. And over there, Rebbe cried. We talked about this perhaps before in the past. That Rebbe was a crier. It was the more beginning about Bodezar, the three crying. He said, Rebbe, Bocha, Rebbe, Ma'ayesha, Kaner, Lomar, Be, Shahachas, Ma'ayesha, Kaner, Lomar. Right, the Gemara there is the three different Gemaras. That's on the first part, three different Gemaras. One is about Ketir Bar Shalom. One was about Elizabeth Daya. One was about the class the Nuri with the situation of Rukhanadim and Trad. I'm not going to, and that now is too much tangents. Okay, moving on. So the Gemara says like this. I'm sorry, the Tajbet says like this. Um, he says, Nimtza Sha'acha Kavana Salevadvarm Murma Chacham Enam Beroisha. He says, he has eyes in his head. He can figure out what his motivations are. Are they right? Are they just? Are they appropriate or not? So you know about yourself. Are you going to be the person who wants to be nene from others for the right reasons or not for the right reasons? This, every person needs to ask for himself. It says the Tash base. I hear it's a minus Chasidus. I acknowledge that it's a minus Chasidus. But the but is maybe it's not always. You could be like Alicia, you could be like Pechas Benyar, you could take. You could take. Then he continues. And he says, He says, but you should be aware that it is to eat too much. 
to hang out, to be chilling with the hoi poloids. Is that 100%? That's not allowed. So even though if it's a, a allowed for the Tamachacham to be supported, to be getting meals from people, but it's got to be done in moderation. It's got to be done appropriately just to simply take and to be participating just because you're being invited. Right? Hold your horses on that. Although he says that when it comes to Suda's mitzvah and like, of course, the Tamachacham should be doing We are now in Shuvah Kuf Mem Hey, next Shuvah from the Tashbet. Tashbet says like this, Sad Ravi, he says, I have a fourth side of this topic that I want to discuss. It's not a chayv, it's not a mitzvah. It's a rishos. It's optional, not obligatory, not a commandment. And this relates to all of the entirety of the mitzvahs. Is a person allowed to get paid to be a rabbi? Right, this chuva deals with are you allowed to be played to be a rep? Now we know the Gemara tells us. The Gemara tells us the following. The Gemara says that um, we learn out from a pasuk. The pasuk says that Hashem commanded me at that time to teach you the entirety of the Torah. As Hashem has commanded me, we learn out from that. Just like I did it for free. There's no charge to come to my classes. So to you should teach Bechinam, teach for free. Do not charge for terror. So this is different than everything we've discussed before. You see how? This is not saying that the community is not supporting to be a Rebbe. We're not talking about a job as a Rebbe in the community, per se. We're saying somebody has a good speaker and he has a lot of Torah he wants to share. So can he charge for his classes? I don't know if they charge for classes online or not, but this is a theoretical point. Can somebody who wants to teach Torah charge for his class? Much of that increases or decreases the attendance. But let's say he wants to charge. Is that a permitted or not? Says the Tashbay that we have a Gemara. The Gemara tells us that we learn out from there. The Gemara is telling us that um, that uh, seemingly you should teach for free. Right? That's the Gemara in the dorm telling you you should teach for free. But but we know that the Rebbe is allowed to charge. Let's say for teaching children. Right? How is it? You, get, you can't walk out of here and say, what do you mean? If everybody's not in charge of his class, I'm going to call, call the school and say, I'm not paying tuition. What are you, what are you charging about? Pay only for English. Right? That's not, that's not what the practical applications are. But how is it that the schools charge? You never see. Did you ever get a bill from the school and the school says we're only charging for English study? But did they, have, did they ever get a bill that says you should know that you're only paying for English? Never get a bill like this. Why not? First of all, people wouldn't pay for English the prices, right? Or maybe they would. I don't know, but I think not. Why, so why don't they why don't they say that? How is it possible? So the answer is certainly when it comes to younger children. I think more already tells us certainly when it comes to younger children. For adult children, for base matters, it's a different question. But let's say for younger children. So the more says two possibilities. Either it's Shimur or it's Pisuk time. What does it mean, or babysitting, literally babysitting? So I'm not sure about you, but I know me that if I had to spend my entire day with my children, I love them dearly, and certainly on occasion, I will spend an entirety of a day with them, and it'd be very fantastic. But to spend every day with them would be very difficult. Forget a job, it'll be very difficult mentally, right? So the reality is, I wouldn't be a very good homeschooling parent would not work for me. So I'm very happy to find babysitting. Glorify babysitting with actually learning something fantastic is even better. So the Gemara says that a Rebbe of a child is allowed to take money as a salary because he's it's babysitting and it's piece of time. What is piece of time? They're saying that's not learning Torah per se. Learning how to read. Right, the learning, the vowelization, learning the timer, right? That's not really Torah. That's learning how to read. 
Learning how to read is not Torah. And therefore, you can get paid for that. So that worked for younger children, right? First grades, we're teaching them how to say Aleph. In the later grades, we're teaching them how to read the Chomish and how to read a Rashi. It's not teaching so much. It's teaching them how to read, right? The whole goal is that you finish elementary school, hopefully knowing how to read and basic translation, right? So at some point, you can start reading on your own and translating on your own. And then reading Mishnayas. So again, the, the idea is teaching them the basics of, of how to read and translate. That's not really learning so much. The question is, what about high school? Or more than that, makes matters places where it's higher learning. At those times, you can't really make the argument of teaching how to read. Right? What's going on there? The, the kids are learning on their own all day, right? They're coming in for a shift for an hour, right? What's the getting? What's the what's the yeshiva charging for? The charging for providing you air conditioning, a light, a table, or the standard. I mean, that's it. The shear is an hour, but they're charging a whole tuition. Why? Maybe not this school's a little different. I heard the big trips make it more exciting. But in the old days, they didn't do any of that. You had you had your chair, maybe you had a bed. What's the charging for? So on this, how could they charge? On this, the um, the Tashbait says that look, just like this, that um it's the same idea as Schar Shabbos. I got to know the sugya at an early age because I, I learned on Shabbos. As you know, I still learned, although I haven't been paid in many years. But when I was a kid, I, I, was, I got paid $35 a week. A lot of money for me. And I... Uh, Tony Masquerams to use to go fishing, which is a little bit absurd and obscene today, but that's really what I use it for. And um, yeah, so were they allowed to pay me? You're allowed to pay somebody to work for you on Shabbos? Of course not. What, what's the logic? How do you do it? How does it work? How does Sky Shabbos work? They're not paying me for my lien. What are they paying me for? Preparation. Right, that's how you make it kiddish. You hire a caterer. What are you paying? Paying a caterer on Shabbos? No, you're paying for all the work that they did before Shabbos to make it all the whole event. Shabbos is is the is the uh, is the is the free is the freebie that they're throwing in. Same idea over here. Says the When that Rebbe sits down to give the shear, you're not paying him to give the shear. You're paying for all the hashem mitzvah, all the work that he did. Right, that's work of, of, of him avoiding work that he has to do, you know, to support his family, or um, spending the time researching all the things that he did. You're not paying for giving this year. You're not paying for teaching the Torah to the student. You're paying for the prep. But all that prep involved and all that entails, and that's both on the on the on the research and study side of it, and also on the avoidance of other work and other things that he could have taken to do for himself. That's what you're paying for. Therefore. He wants to make the argument that it's not just little kids. We have the argument of Skar Shimor uh, or Skar piece of time. No, even if you're teaching a shir to people who know how to learn on their own, still you're allowed to say that he could take a salary because you're not paying him for the teaching of Torah. You're paying him for the preparation that eventually led to the teaching of Torah. You're paying for the practice. That is... That is his argument. He has a bunch of different proofs to make the point. And, and we see in many different places that you're allowed to take um, uh, money from Skaralishka. The, 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 what we learned that uh, the Kahanim were taught, they got the Nautil Skar Mitruma Salishka. They didn't get money um, for anything other than preparing, from teaching them how to do it, but not from doing the, the, the mitzvah. The uh, the the Tashvites argument is that this is now no different than that. Okay. Then it continues. We gave another example by like Kahanim was that the that by by a Kayan, um when he's gonna do Hazar and Kiddush, etc., he doesn't have to go and get you the water. He's going to get it. You have to pay him for that, but you're not paying for doing the actual mitzvah of Hazar, you're paying him for all the work they did to to get the water there, right? All that effort, that's what you're paying. The same idea, the difference between the Heksha mitzvah and the mitzvah itself, you pay for the Heksha mitzvah. 
You're not paying for the mitzvah itself. That's the argument for the Tajbet, a new din, right? We have the, the person who's a big learner, you point him to the community as a physician. If there's no positions in the community available, you just support him. One of them wants to give a shear. Somebody wants to give a shear. You pay money for the shear? Yes. But you're not paying money for the shear itself. You're paying money for the actual mitzvah mm -hmm. of the shear. You're paying money for the prep work of the shear. Yeah. And then, of course, we have all the other things that we mentioned before about, which we'll you know, summarize at the end. Okay. The only thing that's usher in the Torah is the scar of doing the mitzvah itself. What you're not paying for is the scar of the hekshah mitzvah. You're not paying for the scar of the batala. That you're allowed to take money for. It's only usher the scar of the mitzvah itself. But the hekshah mitzvah, the scar of of avoiding other work, that you're allowed to pay for. Okay. Um, I'm not paying for the shear. I'm not paying for the person landing on Shabbos. I'm paying for all the work they did to be able to land on Shabbos. It's like it's like if they gave you a bill and they said your tuition bill is ten thousand dollars, you're only paying for English. They don't have to do it because those are yeah. other reasons. But I'm just saying in theory, imagine that. What do you mean? They're watching the kids the whole day, but you're not paying for the whole day. You're only paying for English. <laughs> Semantics in what sense? Well, again, the Gemara tells us it's an interesting story. I don't want to get too sidetracked on it, but certainly as a Minas Chasidus, you do pay. The Gemara gives us a Misa that there was a man. Um, I'm forgetting now who he was, I think. Again, who he was. Jarbuna, I think. It was Jarbuna. Whoever it was. Gemara tells us that he had, he hired workers. Remember the Gemara? Do I remember? It was Jarbuna? He had workers. And they were mamish klutzes. Remember? He had, they were mamish klutzes. I'm not kidding. So he hired him to you know, move his uh, wine or whatever. And um, when they moved it, they broke all the barrels and promised to everything. So he didn't pay them as compensation for the loss that he suffered as a result of them breaking all those barrels. He took their clothing. So I'm taking your jackets. Okay. They went to complain. They went to somebody to complain. And they went to the basement and said, it's not right. The basement holds them in. This is what happened. Says the Mayan. So you're taking away their coats, you're taking away their their salary. Because I have to I have to give them back their coats. They tried. They, they're clutches, not the high clutches. Right? They did their they tried to do their job. So he gives them back their jacket. And then said, What about our salary? We had a whole day of working. So they, so they said, Yeah, well, you should pay them for the salary. They had a whole day working. So, but their work was a was a joke. They they ruined my wine. They they broke the barrel. Yeah, but they still spent the day trying. I mean, it's not either that you should still pay them. So yeah, I mean, if the story of the guy doesn't show up to the job and because he's an it's certainly a time, at least I mean it's not either to be able to be paid. Of course, if he's not showing up because he's a lazy good son, he didn't show up to lunch because he overslept. It's a different story. Um but it's okay, right? They're clear on this tube of the Tashbit. Next tube of the Tashbit, where I'm supposed to mention. All right. Those are the, the the various different levels that we discussed. Okay. So it says, the Achrais and Asparis calls there. It says, now that we've discussed all of these things, I want to explain to you what is a Tashbit. The Vadilinemu Devarma Lola Rebekiva It's not that these things that we just discussed, all these things are only very Rebekiva. People like you know on that kind of level, on this supernal level of the Tanoim, no way. It says it can't be like that. The Gemara tells us if somebody says by they want to marry a girl, so they say the Gemara tells us in the second paragraph of Somebody says you don't say there's a Tam like Shem Ben Azay. 
even if it's Tachas Kala, Rashi explains what is even Tachas Kala. You ask somebody something, if it, oh, what he knows in the Tachas Kala is like a joke. If nothing, it's easy, right? Kala, the Lord Brachas, and Surah Labala Kenita, right? That's the place, that's the limit of the Tachas Kala. That's what Rashi says, right? It's not, it's nothing. It's easy to know. You can read the whole thing in a day, in an hour. And that person is called a Talmud. That person is called a Talmud. And if he says, I'm an Ashani Right, not just a Talmud, a Talmud from Talmud. So such a person, you don't say like Chach Meyav, like Yerim Kiva, etc. Sounds, it sounds like easy, but right? You're asking whatever entire anywhere, and he answers. The Tashmir says it doesn't mean literally anywhere. Tashmir says like this. Based upon the Gemara tells us, the Gemara tells us that um, in Rosh Hashanah, that, that Gidon, right, Yerubal B'dayrai, Right, it's Kemosha Madara, Shimsha Madara, it's Ka'ar Madara, Yiftak Madara is Kishmul Madara, right? You ain't Lano, you don't have to rely on except for the basin that is in your day. Right? A person is not allowed to say, oh, the Gedailan, there were once Gedailan, but now not allowed to say anything. Why? Because each generation gets what they deserve, each generation gets what they need, and one is not supposed to pine at what it was like in the Altaheim with the real Gedailan. That's not the appropriate approach that one's to take. So, says the Tashbet, don't tell me that the definition of a Talmud Chacham is Meish Rabbein. Don't tell me it's Rabbi Akiva. No, the definition of a Talmud Chacham is a Talmud Chacham for our generation. What does that mean? Somebody will be appointing him in our communities today. If, he's a, if we consider him a Talmud Chacham of today, that's a sufficient definition of a Talmud And that would be the kind of person that we should be giving him a job. That's the person we should be supporting. That's the person if he wanted to give a share, we should be um, uh, paying for his extra mitzvah, preferring the share. That's a person we should be having in a of. That's a person we should be letting him sell his wares first. That's a person we should be marrying our daughter to. That's a person we should be tempting to marry the daughter of. That's the person who gets off in the taxes. That's the person who gets to sell his wares first. That's the person we don't have competition laws. That is the definition of a Talmud Somebody of today's generation, Talmud Don't compare him to the generations that came before. Therefore, says the Tashrit, you want to know what that means? Anybody who's really, truly dedicated to the craft of Malchus Shemayim, he wants to be having the shchina be more in this world. That's what he's after. That's what his sugang is. He spends his time learning. He's able to pass it. They would appoint him if there was such a job. Such a person is called a tamakacham. And he adds one, one additional point. He says, if such a person is a dying umayr hayrav v'deresh barabbat, so it includes speaking publicly. It's very interesting because the times of the Gemara and the times of the Mishnah, they had all these judgments, they had tons of speeches all the time, Shabbos, Yantas, all the time. And then by the time you look in, by, uh, in Europe, I don't know what it was like in, in North Africa, Middle East, maybe it was different, but certainly in Europe, there were, there were contracts. The rabbi was only allowed to speak twice a year. I want you to remember seeing them, uh, that the Maral got his community angry in Prague and they were throwing me out, threw him out from being the rabbi in Prague because he once got up to Darshan in the middle of the year, not Shabbat Shuvah, not Shabbat Nagat. And they were angry. Right? You know what I mean? Like, how dare you? Right? So, like, we went from a time when the Jerushites were like normal and normative to a time when they were like absolutely not, not acceptable. Right? Then again, if you look at some of the Jerushites they put out, some of these. You know, we, we ever go to the Archashokan Drashes, Haral Drashes, that's not said, these dresses go for pages and pages and pages. Like, do they really give that Drash in public? Or did they like write off their Drash and put in all their citations and all the other things they want to say? They could have said it, that they would have said it, they could have said. It. Right? I'm not 100% clear, but it seems that at some point, at least in Europe, they started appreciating the Drashes the last. All right. In any event, these are the pitch of kids, if you would, of what it means. The Talmud continues the Tashmite. Miu, he says, 
Because let's say you have a guy who meets all these requirements, but he's the chiller. Even though he's a Mary Ron, even though he's a good Darshan, and even though he has a sock of a turn, Taras and there's still there's Batkala there. Then um he's even worse than Amar. He's not gonna be the term of Tamahawk. What does it sound familiar like? Sounds like the rush, right? The Shuba of the Rush. Remember the rush? And he quotes the rush. At the end of this Shuba, in fact, quotes the rush. Could have quoted at the beginning, would have saved me the time agreeing, right? No. But I remember years ago, but if you quoted the rush or not. But in the end of this shoe, when I looked at it again, it does in fact quote the rush. But it's exactly the same idea as the rush. The rush has said that what is a Tamakaka? Somebody who is dedicating his free time to studying Torah. Could be he has to work. So if he's working to support himself, that is still called Tamakaka. He still gets all the benefits of Tamakaka. But if he's working to enrich himself, meaning he has what to sustain himself. If he's working to enrich himself, he's not a Tamakaka. A. B, if he's engaged in Maisabatala, if he's engaged in Bittal Torah, if he's engaged not in free time, if he's chilling, not a Tamakaka, meaning he still could be a huge Tamakaka, but he's not going to be entitled to all the benefits of Tamakaka. Good? All right, that is the the Tash Beit um, in, in, in this Chuba. And instead, at the end of it, he quotes the, the, the rush to get where the, these ideas were first First articulated versus um all right. So Nimse says Shaola be a denimitash call Tamakam The Roy Lidrash Brahm, any Tamakam who's Roy to Paskin, he's Roy to Darsh in public, the Tirosayim Nasa, and really the Torah is his craft. And he had to Shamayim, Bineira Mitzavan Mitrach Barifta, the community is commanded to help him with his. They have to support him. appropriate bench. Obviously, if he's a wealthy person on his own right, if he comes from a wealthy family, obviously, he shouldn't take anything. Back. This is only talking about if somebody needs it. But if we're talking about a situation where somebody was wealthy enough to be able to um, you know, live okay on his own, then of course none of this stuff applies. Shouldn't be taking anything from anyone. No need for that. That's not a midas chatidas. That's just remembering communities are poor. Why would you support a person who's a wealthy person, a wealthy rabbi? Why do you have to support him? All right. That is tshuva kuf mivav, and now we move on to tshuva kuf mem zayin. We have two more tshuvas left. This chuba is juicy. Right? Everything else we've said until now. Okay, sources of hand, sources of hair. Here, there is a hat. This chuba, it opens up with a lot of hat. All right, that's why I remember this chuba. Sometimes I forget all the citations, but the hat, I never forget. This is the Taj Mahal. All the chubas I just told you. Now we get to Zion. Now we get to the you know, the juicy bit. So it's like, you know, you ever, you know, like you these people when they give the, the presents to the Barmister boy, you know, the, you know, they did it in the old days. They give it a check and put it like, you know, in the middle of the safe. The kid would never open the safe. Check, be very angry, never talk to the person, you know, that. No. Like, you would, if you would just, you like, you read the first year, it's like, you know, the, you know, the rest of the story, the two, the two, uh, the two impoverished folks, one's a year, one's a guy. Later night, my the rest of it's a great story. It's a, like a deep story in life. I can't get into the deepness of life now, but it's a great story. Just as the story level is great. The depth, I can't do that. But the two, the two, the two poor people on the Seder night. No? All right, here's the story. They come to the shul and the and the and the Jewish beggar says to the Jewish beggar, night. <laughs> oh, we're gonna get Canadian coming. They weren't in those days. No, they weren't in the back of blood. Yeah, we're gonna have you know get filled. It's gonna be amazing. You wouldn't believe it's gonna be fantastic. The guy's very like so excited. It's gonna be great. So when they come to the shul after the davening, divide up who's getting with four people. So they got separated. They got split. One guy went here. One guy went there. Fine. After the meal, the Jewish beggar comes back, and the Gersh beggar is like waiting, swearing, and he's so angry. He's like, "What? They didn't have good food. It was bad." 
just bad. It was horrible. They sat there talking and talking and talking. When they finally gave me something to eat, it was burning my mouth. I said, forget it. As I left them. I said, I joked, waited another few minutes. You would have had it. Like all these two was here, the touch base. Now you get to work, you know, the fun part. All right. Now I have to make sure it lives up to it. But this is, I'm not kidding when I say this is true. This is and Asparish calls the Yeshlon after we've given you all these shuvahs, nevertheless, we still have to worry about the words of the Rama. The Masha Kosib is an Indian parish with text of it, but the Rama wrote in the text of it, like it writes in the Shatur, etc. Lefi, why do we have to be right about the words of the Rama? Lefi, Shesvar of Naf will be out because his books are in the hands of every person. He's widely read. If he wasn't widely read, I really wouldn't be worried about it. But he is widely read, so we gotta, you know, still know what to do about it. That's not the Jews. Yeah. He continues. Let me, this is what he says. Because if we have what to say back, for MSU alone is dark. Because we're gonna truth will show us the way. And the schus of the ones that came before me. Remember how he opened up the truth? He said about the schus Rishon? That's gonna help me. The Ramam, I don't like traveling but if you know the source of Mara, somebody's Mavra Zamidezish like that's pretty strong line to say about the Rama. And he's putting all the Ga'inim and the Rabbanim that came before him into Bali Avera. And because he got really angry, right? Chazam tells somebody gets upset, he's going to come to make a mistake. Ramam got so angry on this topic, he made a mistake. Ramam called these people Mishugan, that's what he said. People who think like this. He's calling all the Gainim and the Rabbanim who came before Mishugan. You know, the Ramam calls a lot of people Mishugan. This Shabbos day, I quoted the Ramam, Shabbos day or Friday night, I forget. Shabbos day. Shabbos day, I didn't quote it. I forgot to quote it. I know I did quote it, but I didn't say the source. I didn't go through the whole thing, right? The Rambam, I'm discussing the higher forms of anti-Semitism, right? The Rambam writes in the Igeris payment, he calls certain founder of a certain religion to start in the 600s of Meshuggah, repeatedly calls them a Meshuggah, and by the Meshuggah is not Yiddish, you know, it's Hebrew, right? I don't know, everyone thinks Meshuggah is Yiddish. It's not Yiddish, it's a Hebrew word. And it sounds so Yiddish, right? With that big gimmick in there, it sounds like Yiddish. Yeah. So, so says the says the uh, the Ramam doesn't hesitate to use the word Meshuggah. So he used it about him and he used it about them. Kaviyachum says the Tashvit because he became so angry at this point. Whatever was animating him, he got angry and he made a big mistake. Till he started calling them Mishugoim. Evil Hanavi Meshuggah Right, possible to become. A dunce, it's possible to um, make a mistake, right? When you become upset and you go on the wrong path and you go down the wrong path, the path. Continues and says like this This is the juice, in case you were waiting. Till now, was the preface. This is the, the key line. It boggles the mind. If he, the Rambam, had the luck, had the mazel, to be a car of the Malchus, and to be honored in his generation, because of his doctor abilities, because of his medicinal, pharmacological, um, physiological abilities to heal people, that he was a big, he was receiving a big amount of covet from the people of his generation and from the government. And he got because of his his ability <coughs> to heal and his wisdom. And he didn't have to take money from his community. He's holding everybody to an impossible standard. What about all the other rabbis who don't traffic in such hoary circles, in such hoary circles, who don't reach such apex? of civilization that the king, right? You know the legend. 
is that the crusader king Richard the Lionhearted wants the Ram to be his personal doctor. Ram said, no, he preferred to stay within the reign of you know the Egypt in Egypt where he lived and Saladin and all of that, the visor that he was the doctor for. He didn't want to go to the crusader king. But that's how great his renown was. That's how great the legend of him was, a legend in his own lifetime. What about everybody else? Are you almost Barabba? They all supposed to die? Are you Spazi? Are you Porco? Oh, Termal Sabarm? In those Kavanas, that Torah, that Mrs. Talmud, that cannot be what the Torah wants. Not everybody was blessed with just the all encompassing mind, the absolute beyond brilliant mind of Maimonides. You're holding them to an impossible standard that you yourself think is normative. Because you yourself live in a different world than everybody else. Now, what he doesn't say here is that, and he could have said to make it even more juicy, and we have mentioned this in the past, that the Rambam only had the government support at the end of his life. And, the, and, 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 and what did he say about the end of his life? Remember the letter the Rambam wrote? Where we just quoted the Garrett Payman in that book. We have it here. All the letters of the Rambam, what did he say? He had no time to learn. During that stage of his life, he wasn't even learning. Right? Remember the Rambam said about the end of his life when the government was supporting him? He didn't learn. He gave a shear on the Shabbat. Or two shear on the Shabbat. Right? That's what it says. And at night, when he would come back from the Sultan, after riding on his donkey, like the, you know, the, 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 from the palace, he would come home and there would be tons of people waiting for him. He would beg them to please let him eat something. And he would lie on the couch and then they would come and ask him questions. And by the time they were all done, he would be broken. And the next day, he would reprint, wash, and repeat. And that's why he says he couldn't write to the rabbi who asked him the question. Rabbi who asked him the question. He couldn't respond for like a, a couple of years because he was so busy, he couldn't find the time to respond. And if you look at the responses, like, so the rabbi it should take a day. It's not like a big deal. It's not such an amazing response. Why did take a couple years? He never had time. He's never home. So the Ramah, the beginning of his life, was supported by whom? His brother. He had a Yisachar's wound type of partnership with his brother David. And that's when his brother David, he was so uh, passed away on the ship to India. He was so sad. But Tashmish is being arrived. The Ramah is holding everyone to such an impossible level because the government supported him. But he's doing that at the end of his life. And the Ramah himself didn't learn. He, Ram says about himself that he barely learned that he has no time. We have to remember that Ramah became a doctor at the very beginning of his life, right? That's when he wrote his, um, uh, he, he, he wrote his you know, treaty on the logic and he was studying Gale and he was studying all these. And that's the very beginning of his life. When he was very young, he already started medicine. Um, I don't know if that was done for intellectual reasons or maybe it wasn't sure about his brother's success in business. I'm, I, I don't know. But certainly for a decent chunk of his life, he was being supported by the efforts of his brother and as a regular Sakas kind of a situation. Good? So this what I think is a little bit juicy to say about the Rambam and holding people to an impossible standard because at least in the Tashbates' mind, the Tashbates is thinking which Historically, I don't think it's correct, but the Tashbait thinks it's correct. The Tashbait thinks that the Rama was a crown rabbi. He thinks that the government supported him because he was so famous and he had such a big doctrine and such a this and such a that. So therefore, he expects the whole world should be like that. Nobody should, nobody should ever take money from the community. That's how the Tashbait... That's... I'm saying that the Tashbait is, is thinking that the reason the Rama is deciding what he decided because the Rama never had to take any money from anybody from the community. Why? Because the government was so in awe of him. Everybody was so in awe of him because of all his genius. So he's saying, therefore the Rambam says that this is the normative of Al-Lakha. He says that can't be true, that's the normative of Al-Lakha because you're effectively holding people to an impossible standard. That's the Tashmish. What we're saying is, just hold on one second, that's not the, actually such a great proof that the Rambam was holding people to an impossible standard because actually at that stage of his life, he wasn't really learning. His government support was supported true. For sure, but it wasn't that he was learning that much then. It was literally just important to be able to to have a parnasa, because at that stage in his life, um, they were demanding all of his time. So he had to support himself. It's true, his brother passed away, but the support that he got wasn't to learn. Remember what he said in the in the Mishnah Torah? 
He said that the idea was you work three hours a day, nine hours a day you learn. And 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 the rest of the time you're sleeping, eating, davening, whatever. But that wasn't what he was doing. He was spending the whole day in the in the in the in the in the court. There was a family basis. Yeah, maybe. Could be. All right. <clears throat> Next. So um continues the Tashbase and he says like this. And here, what he does is he he quotes the various different rabbis in the, in the in, mostly in Ovis. He brings them down and then tries to argue against them. They say, "Why do I have to fight with the rabbis? Because everybody holds by him. Everybody has his book, but he holds everybody to impossible standards. So therefore, I'm going to now quote to you all the various different rabbis and push back. And so he attempts now. And this shuva is a pushback shuva. He's attempting to push back on all of the riots of the rabbis." I'm not going to go through them now, but that's in effect what he's doing, and and he brings up all of the arguments that he he brought in the first five shuvas that we just did, all the sources that he argued with on the Rambam. Here he's bringing down the Kitzur Nimrat. The 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 Rambam is not correct because look at all these sources I brought back in the shuva there and the back on the shuva there and all that. So now he's running through them in shorthand. So he says that therefore the Rambam uh, cannot be correct, but. So then he gets into the discussion. We spent weeks. I mean, maybe we spent two months. I don't know. But remember how we went, we spent literally probably five, six classes going through all the phenomena on the work? And I went through all the sources of that. So here he does that too. Um, not in the depth, not in the depth that we did. He's doing it much shorter. He's bringing up here at least 15, 20 examples. We brought that way more than that. And because at the end of the day, he is also bothered by the fact that, look, the Raman is not wrong. You know, the Raman in the mission of only brings down a few examples of people who work. If you go through the, the shops, you go through the Babylon Shabbos and the Drush, you see tons of people who work and their name, that often the way you know that they work with their name is appended what their job was, right? And and if not, you see what they were doing. You, you, the Yamar gives you the stories of what they did. Forget what the halach is. Forget what the sources are. Just isn't the raya strongest just from looking at the mice of it? What they did? What did they do? What did the Tanoim and Amiram do? And by and large, it seems that they were always working. I, I didn't say that exactly right. Not that they were always working, but it seems that by and large, that many, many had a job. How can we say? That it is not appropriate. The position of the Ramam. The Ram says you should work. That Hashbrit is saying that's a minus classitas. Maybe not always, but but at least the minus But it seems pretty normative when it seems so many people did in fact work. This is the question of Hashbrit. You're getting down to the end, right? Like, okay, we've gone through, oh, we had the battle of the sources, but now practically, okay, look, like, at the end of the day, the Rambam has a massive source just in the example of the Gedalim that came before. From this, says the Tashbeit the problem. Of course, there were tons and tons of rabbis through the times of the Mishnah and the Talmud that worked, no doubt about it. All of that is correct. But, says the Tashbeit, the Rambam is misreading these examples. The Rambam is looking at this as being normative, and it's really just a midas hasidah. Remember, what did the Tashbeit do? The Tashbeit said there is room for the Rambam, but instead of making the Rambam normative halacha, we're going to make the Rambam as a midas hasidah. Not always midas hasidah, because maybe sometimes the ego, maybe sometimes you're going to not be able to learn enough. But at least in theory, if you can learn enough, and, and and it's not for ego and not for other kind of reasons. All right, Midas Hasidah. Says the Tashbeh. Why can't I just say that all the stories of these rabbis work? It's just Midas Hasidah. Why do I have to say it's normative? That's how he gets out of the front. You see? So we have two months of showing you all these literally hundreds of rabbis from Tanoim and Abraham. They all work. All Midas Hasidah. Well, I can see them. There's a lot of them to go to. That's the argument of the Tashbeth. Now the question is, what's a reasonable person? Was it Midas Hasidah? 
I think another was another possibility. What was the other possibility? I think a much more likely possibility. I think. I've always thought this. Maybe not 100% in times of time. I don't know. But certainly in times of New York, you would think communities are poor. People are poor. They, they, it wasn't. I think I said this story months and months ago. My wife's grandfather, when when uh, my wife's father passed away, when I met him, um, he wanted to have me like a father, you know. So he, he was 90 years old. That's how I asked me, I got him to the mark. I, I know I got him to the mark. You're not going to. You're not going to catch me there. So, fine. Um, he's got a few hours on this crawling back. And it's going on for like an hour. Or and I can see that my would be wife, then, uh, is looking at me daggers. What's the problem? We're having a good time. She's like, he's 90 plus years old. Let him go. Just let him win you. He needs to show that you don't know anything. And that's the only way it's going to work. So, the next thing that he says, uh, I said, I don't know what it is. Nah. Yeah, I'm all right. But I was so angry. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I know this Gamar too, but I, my wife was going to leave. But then he says to me, a line I never forgot. And this is true. He's like, you know, you American Shabbat, you really don't know how to learn. Right? He goes, you know why? He never went to that hungry player. He was, you know, back in the day, he learned this. We had a thing, S and Tag, you go to different families for the meal. And um, sometimes the family didn't have work or they, had, they said it wasn't their day or whatever, and he just didn't have a meal. So what did he do? He went back to Shiva and he And you got full on terror, and then you went to sleep. Hope the next day you had something to eat. You, never, you, never, you don't know what that is. True. I have no idea what that is. That's the level. So, He's saying the Tashbait that the the rabbi wants to learn out that from all these stories of the rabbis you can't learn out. Maybe it's minisfasidus. I'm going to give you another possibility. Not minisfasidus per se, but certainly in the times of Europe, it was penury. This communities couldn't afford to just be giving out salaries. They couldn't even afford to be giving out big food. They were serving soup as the water from the chalim. I mean, like, what are we talking about? We're not talking about situations of like we're debating on it here, but these are poor, poor communities. That's when they work. I don't, I wonder sometimes if the Ramam's rice was so strong. Maybe the communities are poor. The Ramam rice, it's impossible that they wouldn't have supported us. It's impossible that if they were allowed to take, they would have all been supported. That's the Ramam. Very strong language there, and he writes that he might see lies on the restraint of things that communities want to support them. I don't think, forget the Tashris, forget the Ramah. I have another approach. The approach is they were very incredibly poor. Sure, it seems that some of the rabbis were very wealthy. Absolutely. But who said that that could support every single community? There's many communities. That would be, that has always been my fundamental question on the Ramah's riot. At the same time, <clears throat> I don't think it's a riot, but it's Tashbay. The Tashbay is supposed to be a riot. This is, in fact, not normative. It's Minas Tashbay. I don't know. I don't know. It's Minas Tashbay. I don't know. I just think it's a situation of a community that was very poor. You don't really, can't really bring a riot from a situation to a wealthy community. You can't bring a riot from that to an America where they could afford to support them in a home. All right. We have a few minutes left. We have to finish up this trooper. So the, the, um, the Tashbay continues, and it says like this. He wants all that all They work was because they want to recall these things. That's the chasidus. They wanted to rely on their own hands. They were able to, in fact, learn Torah and do their work. And this is a good prelude next week. Says the Tashmish, who says that our generations are like their generation? In the olden days, we, the Gemara already says, there was such a difference, even in the days of the Talmud, between the earlier generations and the generations then. 
the earlier days they would do the terror kevam lachan arai and they would have both the terror and the malachim in the sky but which we're talking about is the times of the talmud they are iced in what malachim kevam terror arai and therefore nothing works for them he says that could be nowadays it's different nowadays we're not on the level of what it was in those days Nowadays, the eighth last Hashem says the Tashmites. In those days, they, they decided they had to write down the, the Mishnah. Then they decided they had to write down the Talmud. What do you mean they had to write down the Mishnah? They had to write down the Talmud. Where did that come from? It's not allowed. They said eighth last Hashem. They had to do it. Why? Because otherwise, it would be Nishkat The Torah would be forgotten. So they ended up deciding that this is what they're going to have to do. So if they had to do it for that, then maybe over here too. Our days, it's just simply not capable of what it once was. Even on, even on the Rambam that wants to say it's no one about Allah, even he would have to change his mind. Because today, you really wouldn't have Torah. That's what he wants to push on that. Okay. So he says, and um, we're skipping here to the end over here of this Shuba. Because our king, and here he wants to make a distinction between somebody who's mishtamish bekisro shel Torah and somebody who has hanah bekvod haTorah. I'm not going to get into the sources. We did the last sources: the Rambam, the Gemara about Tarfin, and the Gemara about Yenis and Ben Avron, the beginning of Bavatra. And the Hashbeis basically wants to say like this: this is a very fascinating distinction. I think it says the Hashbeis that you are able to take hanah bekvod haTorah. But you are not allowed to mishdamish What is that distinction? That's the distinction of somebody who's um, um, taking uh, value, somebody who's taking benefit from the honor of Torah, rather than somebody who's getting hanaf because of the covet of the Torah that he has. But he gives an example of how he thinks it's appropriate to have hanaf from the covenant of Torah. And he says, that it's in effect somebody who starts out for the right reasons studying and he learns well and he learns much and he is on that track to become a big Tamakakam. So they give him honor, they give him a position, they give him money, they give him all this. That is okay. But the reverse, and here he says something that has reverberation for all time. And his is the Tash base now of turning in on himself. Listen to the Tash base and see the reverberation. Says the Tash base. Me, Sha'isik, Vitera, Shalela Shema. Somebody who's learning Torah for the wrong reason. And somebody who's only studying Torah in order to be able to have a profession. You hear that? Somebody whose entirety of study of Torah, the intentionality is to be able to get a parnasa out of the Torah. You hear the difference? He's not doing it for he's not doing it for the Torah. He's doing it for his own benefit. He's using the Torah as a way to make a parnasa for himself. It's not, I want to learn Torah. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? I really love Torah. I want to study, study, study. So I'm studying, studying, studying. And then my community recognizes that I love Torah so much. I'm such a good study. I dash nights. I know they want to support me. They want to give me a job. They want to give me off my work. They want to help my life. Fine. That's fantastic. That's the situation with somebody's. Having that's okay. That's no problem. But if I am trying to figure out what I should do with my life, and I'm like, okay, I'm a quick-witted person, I'll study Torah and I'll make a living out of it, that is a no. That's not the same. To use the Torah as the way to make your job, to make yourself a Parnasta, is not the same. So you see, the Tashbis disagree with the Rambam vehemently, right? All these tubas. And he says the Rambam, at the end of the day, all of this proves maybe they're made as Hasidas, 
And then what does he come out with? He comes out with that, uh, what he's saying is the normative halacha, that's only to be done in an appropriate fashion, which is if somebody really desires to study Torah. So then all these things happen. But if somebody really desires to have a living, and he decides he's going to make the living through Torah, that's the wrong approach. Hear that? So that takes away a lot of what we just uh, thought that he was going down the route, right? And makes it clear as to what we're talking about. So when a person says, what is your profession going to be in life? What are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to learn. And 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 and, and what's the plan? I'm going to learn. I'll be supported by my learning. My learning is going to be my parnasa. Really? That is what the Tash base is saying, at least in his day, was a non-normative approach. Next week, we're going to have to see if that remains the halakha. But at least in times of the Tash base, somebody to say, well, my job is going to be learning. No. Mm -mm. Not appropriate. That is being mishdamish bekis roshel and not the hano of See the difference? See the, how that distinction is? That's the distinction of the tax base. All right, I see we're hitting up on our time. We didn't finish. We still have another uh, two and a half to do. So what we'll do is we will stop here, and I guess we'll finish it next week and probably end up with uh, the week after that also. Okay. All right, good.